Mark 13, 24 to 37, God's word says this, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. In verse 28, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. And so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the word of the Lord. The stage is set, if we think of this uh, like a play, maybe you've been to a high school play or you even had the, the opportunity to go to Broadway and see a play there. The stage is set, the lights are darkened, the storyline leaning up to this point has been played out. The lights begin to go from dim to lighting the stage. The actors gather. The ending of the play has been given to them beforehand. But the period between the introduction, what they know has happened, and the ending to the story has been left largely blank. There are a few clues, instructions on how to act, but most of the details are missing. The director of the play will give them cues and instructions throughout the play. And they know this, the ending to the play is truly an amazing ending. But the main instruction is this, as the actors play out, stay alert to my instruction, stay awake. Which brings us to our main idea. Church, he is coming. He is coming, stay awake. And when I say he, I mean Jesus. Let's be clear. Jesus is coming, stay awake. Mark 13, 27 And then we'll skip to verse 33. It says, And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect. When we use that word elect, we mean God's people, so Christians, followers of Christ, from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And so he says this, what? Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Spoiler alert. Jesus is coming back. The whole trajectory of our message last week centered on what? Remaining what? Faithful, right? Remain faithful to Jesus. But this week, we make much of Jesus and his declaration that he is coming back. In a sense, we flip the script. We are to remain faithful to Jesus. And hear this, we can be certain that he is faithful to complete his promise to return and restore all things. 
The resurrection grants us that assurance. Why should we be certain that he's coming back? Because Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection, and he accomplished both, so that we can be certain when he says, I will return, that he is coming back. This should be a great, I want you to listen to this word this morning, encouragement. Encouragement. This should be a great encouragement to those who are in Christ. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians four sixteen to 18. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and says this, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then Paul says this, Therefore, so because of what I just said to you, because you have assurance that Christ is coming back, therefore what? Encourage one another with these words. Church, I encourage you this morning. Jesus is coming back. My hope this week is that we leave here with a hopeful and encouraged spirit that leads not to us reclining in the recliner and being lazy, but leads to a life on mission in our community. That because we have the assurance that Jesus will return, that we are eager to do his work. And that we understand in the face of adversity and seeming uncertainty that we worship a great God who is not at all caught off guard by the affairs of the world. And he has a great redemptive and restorative plan that ultimately brings him much glory. And that is our purpose, to glorify God and enjoy him. And you, Christian, get to be a part of this plan. Isn't that amazing? That God has invited us to be on mission with him, to bring him glory. Therefore, what? What does Paul say? Encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. We draw three points from this passage. Point number one. He is coming to gather his people. He is coming to gather his people. Verse 24 to 27. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. The heavens are going to be shaking. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Uh, This is a two-part series. So reflecting back on our conclusions that we drew out of the text last week, this passage follows Uh, what Jesus called and Daniel prophesied as the, the abomination that causes desolation. We concluded from the text that there was a near fulfillment of that in 70 AD. So, so Jesus spoke these words before 70 AD. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed, utterly laid to waste. 
And so we see a near fulfillment of the abomination that causes desolation in 70 AD. But with that, we also believe that there is going to be a cosmic fulfillment of that same thing in the future. And with this passage before us, I believe we witness the same thing. We see a both and, a near fulfillment and an ultimate fulfillment. God's judgment in 70 AD was poured out on the Jewish leaders because they, had de- they rejected the Messiah. They rejected God's Son. But Christians in Jerusalem at the time, influenced by Jesus' words that, that were recorded here, hearing Jesus' teaching, they fled from Jerusalem before the Roman armies came in and sieged and sacked that city. So the Christians were saved from certain death out of Jerusalem. Moreover, this is, this is the beauty of God's sovereignty in his plan. In his judgment on Jerusalem, Christians fled from that city center. They probably would have still congregated there. And because they fled, because they scattered out of Jerusalem, the gospel went out to all the world. The church spread. Do you see how God gets glory out of terrible things? That his judgment poured out in that moment on the people that had rejected the Messiah was a catalyst for the church. They were gathered there and then they scattered. We do the same thing here. We gather together and then we scatter out into our community. Shining light in our communities. It is why Jesus says in verse 30, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So we see a near fulfillment, and I believe we will see an ultimate fulfillment of this passage. It's both and. Because Jesus is coming back one day to gather his people to him. It is not finished. From the ends of the earth, those who are living at that time when he comes back in glory and from the ends of heaven or those who have passed away, all of God's children gathered together. And everyone will know that he is coming. Every passage that speaks of Jesus' second coming infers that it will be known that the king has come to consummate his kingdom. And restore his creation. The trumpet will sound. Have you ever been in the room with somebody playing the trumpet? It's loud. They didn't say a kazoo. They said a trumpet. The trumpet will sound. He will be seen in the clouds with great power and glory. He is coming, church, to gather his people. Point number two. He is coming, and the time is near. He is coming, and the time is near. The idea of his near return is the word imminent. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear people say, we believe in the imminent return of Christ, the near return of Christ. Jesus says this in verse 28 to 31, from the fig tree learn its lesson. So he gives us an illustration. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. He says this, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near 
at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. This is good news right here. But my words will not pass away. Perhaps a better way to saying his, his return is near or imminent is to think of it as it's, it's hanging over the top of us. I'll illustrate it this way. It, it's, it's right there ready to fall. Think of a, a tree, a fruit, a fruit tree where there's, there's fruit high up and you can't reach it. You can't pick it. You can't grab it and bring it down. It's right there ready to fall. It's like that ripe piece of fruit ready to pick, but it's just not coming down just yet until what? It's ripened and it's full of juice and it lays heavy on that branch and breaks away and comes down. Jesus' return is near. It's hanging over the top of us. The reason we say near is that Jesus instructs us to live our lives in this fashion, eager and expectant of his soon return, that we're expectant of his arrival. See, my mom, when I was growing up, had a way of breathing a, a healthy fear into myself and my brothers. I had two older brothers. There was three boys with my dad. My mom basically had four male children that she was raising. She had a, a way of breathing healthy fear into my brothers and I when she left to go run errands. She would tell us what to do. So my mom was a, was a chore giver, right? Like, you got to do chores. You got something to do all the time. You, you dare not say, Mom, I'm bored. She was going to give you something to do. So she would tell us all what to do, but she wouldn't tell us when she would be home. But we knew what? That she was coming back, right? We knew Mama was coming back, but we didn't know when she was coming back. Could be fast, could be slow. This would assure her that we would get the chores done in a timely manner, and would be at work when she came back. You see, because if she had given us that moment when she was going to come back, odds are three boys in the house alone, someone was going to end up with a black eye. Something was going to be broken. But instead, we were about mama's business, doing chores, waiting for mom to come home. And so I believe we can find within this that that near and future fulfillment of that, that term, this generation. That's a controversial statement. This generation as a generation that was alive during 70 AD and witnessed the destruction of the temple and also a complete fulfillment of this upon his second coming where there is a generation of Christians enduring tribulation and strife and will witness tumultuous events occurring within the world. Finally, there's an assuring phrase in verse 31. Jesus states, heaven and earth will pass away. And then he says this, but my words will not pass away. What is he saying? I'm faithful to my promise. You can count on my word. He will complete his work, church, not only in your saving and your salvation, but also in restoring his fallen creation. That is the end game. That Jesus has redeemed a people to himself, 
that have been set apart to be on mission for his redemptive purpose, and he's going to restore and perfect that which has been broken by the fall, all for his glory. All for his glory. It's why Paul says in Romans 8, 18, now I want to pause. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about the things that he endured. He did some prison time, and it wasn't because he robbed the liquor store on the corner. He did time in prison because he was proclaiming the gospel. And when he proclaimed the gospel and he was arrested and put into jail, he proclaimed the gospel even more in jail. And he sang praises to the Lord. And that very person wrote these words in Romans 8, 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. To us. A man that was imprisoned for his faith said that. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his words will not pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Even though it's written by Paul, it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The words in red are not weightier than the rest of the words of Scripture. They're all God breathed. And finally, point number three. He is coming and we don't know when. His return is near, but he is, he is also coming and we don't know when. His word says as such, 32 to 37, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. What does no one mean? No one. Not the dude that wrote the book in 1988 that Jesus was coming back. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, he's going to use stay awake and be on guard, I believe, about five times in this passage. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, (laughs) stay awake. What's the instruction? Stay awake. I want to pause here for a second. There's a striking statement in in this closing passage of chapter 13. The son doesn't know. Did you guys pick up on that? It says, he says, nor the son, but only the father knows. I want to make a quick theological point here, and this is another debated point. Jesus is, we affirm this, he's fully God, fully human, right? Fully God, fully man. Not 50-50, he's both. And yet in his humanity, set aside some of his divine attributes while carrying out his redemptive purpose in history. Jesus came in history, in person. The way the Father and the Son related to each other 
is temporally, in time, different in the act of redemptive history. But I don't believe that Scripture teaches this to be such outside the course of redemptive history, the way the Trinity operates outside of actually engaging into history and coming into history. I do not believe that Jesus in his current glory, seated at the right hand of the Father, is unknowing of his second coming. Jesus was submissive to the will of the Father. We find that in the Gospels. But he's not eternally submissive in his relationship to the Father. The the Bible teaches that they are three in one. They are eternal. They are of the same essence. What do we say when we... They're the same stuff. They're the same divine stuff. Sharing all, not some, all of the divine attributes. Back to the passage. His coming may be near, and each generation of, of Christians has believed this truth. Uh, we can agree that every generation of Christian has said, Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. Look around at this place. He's got to be coming back. And the Bible actually teaches in this fashion That his return is imminent, that it's near, we're expectant, and yet we do not know when. Again, it's why every book that has been written, boldly stating that they know the date when Jesus is going to return, has failed. It's been wrong. And it is here that Jesus exhorts, be on guard, stay awake, about five different times in these five verses. Do you think he's trying to tell us something here? Stay awake. Back to my mama and her chores. What was the intent of not giving specifics? So that we would get the work done. And as she would leave, she would say, I want you to do the dishes when I'm gone and make sure the house stays clean. See, that was an important detail there. Because we can do the dishes and then mess up everything else. And then she'd say, I'll be back in a little bit. She had this way of looking at you that you knew. If you came back and that stuff wasn't done, death might be knocking on the door a little bit. We never knew when she was coming back, but we knew that it wouldn't be too long. We needed to stay ready, alert, carrying out the task that she had assigned to us. Keep doing what Mama asked you to do. Keep doing what Jesus has commanded us to do. Jesus commands, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And so this brings us to our final point. Recalling the words of Paul to the Thessalonians, what did he say? Therefore, what was our word this morning? Encourage, encourage one another with these words. We make this declaration. Be encouraged. The king is coming. Stay awake, stay hopeful, and stay mindful of his kingdom work. Church, I want you to do something. Turn to your neighbor right now. Say this, be encouraged, the king is coming. I don't know, 9 o'clock might have been a little bit better than you guys. 
And then say this, you, have a, you, you can redeem yourself here. Stay awake, stay hopeful, and stay mindful of his kingdom work. You guys were a little bit more together on that one than they were, so one to one. We'll try it again next week. The New Testament letters provide us instruction to actual churches. So we see the New Testament, there's, there's the Gospels that record the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And then we have letters to actual churches that existed to encourage them in light of the teachings of Christ, to unpack those a little bit more. And so we look to 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 to 11. Paul, talking to this church, says this, But you are not in darkness. I want to pause there. Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit, you are not in darkness. You have the light of Christ within you. He says, brothers, for that day to to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night. Or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober, be of clear mind. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we belong to the light, let us be sober, let us be of clear mind. Underline these words if you have a pen. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. I want to pause there. For God has not destined us for wrath, church. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, the idea of asleep is asleep and death, we might live with him, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then Paul says again, this is the second time he's going to say this in his letter, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Church, I encourage you again, Christ is coming back. Back to Mark 13. In context of the passage, Jesus is drawing near to the end of his earthly ministry. In just a few days, the envious religious leaders will seek to destroy the Savior of the world. They will see to it that he is executed and that he dies for crimes that he did not commit. Did you hear that? He died in that moment for crimes that he did not commit, and he was nailed to a cross for sins he did not commit. He carried, for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, he carried each of our sins on that cross. This is the heart of the gospel. That a holy and perfect God has set forth a great redemptive plan that through the hard-heartedness of some, the perfect spotless lamb of God would be led to the slaughter. 
And he carried the sin and shame of the world on his shoulders. He was led to the cross. And the wrath of God was poured out on the Son and he died because of our sin. But the good news is that we can have assurance. As he has promised that his words what will not pass away. Jesus is faithful. Just as I called you to remain faithful to Jesus, Jesus is faithful to consummate his kingdom. Because he is the resurrected king, church. He is alive. Our living God is calling for you to be encouraged in these words. When the fight of life seems too much to bear, be encouraged. Just as Paul wrote those those letters to the church, many of which he wrote and penned from prison, be encouraged in the midst of whatever you're going through. Because Jesus is faithful to complete his work. Let us stay alert and awake, for we have, as Paul says, the breastplate of faith and love. What beautiful language. And the helmet of hope and salvation. If you are in Christ, you have nothing to fear. Be encouraged, church. Nothing to fear. Be encouraged and be about the business of making much of our Heavenly Father. Make much of His love and His glory and His perfection.